0: Welcome to episode two of this season of the Non-Anxious Churches podcast. I hope this podcast is a source of hope and joy, a place where we begin to ask questions that navigate us towards healthier churches, churches centered around Jesus and His way, not caught up in hustle culture or toxic platforms. See, my goal for this podcast is to participate in a larger conversation about spiritual health in the local and global church. Today, let's talk about deconstruction and the role of the church. (laughs) Well, welcome back. Doesn't that uh, theme music make you want to dance a little? Welcome back to the non-anxious church podcast where we're cultivating a church culture that isn't lost in the sea of anxiousness one podcast at a time. Deconstruction is quite the buzzword right now. It's also not something that can be talked about in overly simplistic words. It's a complex experience. It's it's uh, a journey for many it's even overwhelming and a wallowing sort of experience it's as complex as humans typically are but maybe you're asking what is deconstruction i hear people talk about it i want to know what it is and the word itself has often been slammed as this idea of 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 a loss of your faith in fact some would even um, say or or define it as a loss of your faith but that's not actually what it means nor even where it's supposed to lead. Some do lose their faith in Jesus and the church during deconstruction, but I wouldn't say that's the goal of deconstruction. For most, deconstruction is a tr- is a search for truth and stability. That's what they're looking for: truth and stability. Karen uh, Swaller Pryor, who's a professor, defines it as this: What happens when a person asks questions that lead to the careful dismantling of their previous beliefs. She says, it's what happens when a person asks questions that lead to the careful dismantling of their previous beliefs. This is a helpful definition to consider, asking questions that sort of dismantle or deconstruct what they were thinking or previously thought. The word itself was used in academic circles, you know, in the 1970s and 80s, this idea of uh, deconstructing sort of some of the academic thoughts. I mean, it comes from a process of remodeling. Uh, deconstruction is literally what it sounds like. The process of taking apart construction. Though it should come with the goal of reconstruction, right? Like, that would be the, the goal of deconstruction, would be to have the goal of reconstruction. Otherwise, it's not deconstruction, it's demolishing. And that's why we should use the word deconstruction with this idea of taking things apart with the goal of putting things back together. Or even if it's a little bit different, then we should we should honestly the loss of faith should be called demolishing. Right. Because the goal and I would even say this is the goal for most people deconstructing is not to demolish anything, but really to sort of reconstruct a healthier framework for them to understand life and faith and and God. For example, my family and I moved to a new house about a year ago. Before we moved in, we had a contractor team come in and do some work. They were taking the popcorn off the ceilings, replacing flooring, painting, removing wallpaper, and some other odds and ends like changing light fixtures and electrical outlets and things like that. There was a step in the process that all the popcorn was coming off the ceiling and there was plastic covering all the walls, Uh, I mean all over the house. The floors were trashed with drywall and ceiling remnants. Some floors had been pulled out and others, or carpet had been pulled out, and some were still left in with just that popcorn uh, drywall dust all over them. There were ripped up carpets in some places, and it was, at, at best it was described at this point in the process, a complete mess. My wife wouldn't even go into the house at this point because she had a tough time seeing beyond the mess to what was coming. It was just too messy for her. the plastic covering the wall, the popcorn all over the floor, ripped up carpets, just stressed her out. It was overwhelming to her to see how messy and chaotic it looked. And most, But most, for me, most of the days I was helping. I was pulling some down wallpaper and I was doing other things. I was changing some light fixtures. I was doing things I knew how to do. So I was in the process of the mess. Every day I was coming uh, back to where we were staying at the time, mess. Uh, I had drywall dust on me, I had glue on my hands, I had uh, who knows what, dirt, it was fun. I even had friends coming from the church to help me rip up carpet and put in light fixtures. And I kept imagining what was coming. For me, I could see kind of where we were getting. I could see the reconstruction. But in the mess, it was hard to imagine. It was hard to imagine what it would look like when the plastic wasn't on the walls and the, the, the drywall dust wasn't on the floor and it was actually painted and put together. This is the process of deconstruction when it comes to faith. The goal is not to demolish the building, but to begin to take apart what doesn't work or doesn't make sense to the character of God or doesn't line up with Scripture. For many, it may even be what doesn't line up with their felt experience. And so they begin to take wallpaper off. They begin to pull up carpet. They begin to change some light fixtures. Now, if you think about some deconstruction projects in the building world, you may find a problem. I've heard of many remodels where they found some, a big problem. They, they, you pull up carpet and notice there's a leak coming from under the house. You may replace the toilet and notice there's water all over the floor behind the toilet. And you begin to remove walls and look for pipes. And there may even be rot because of how long it had been wet there. This may lead you to take down way more than you thought. Removing walls that you never plan to remove. Pulling back uh, uh, carpets that you never plan to pull back. Replacing pipes that you never had in your budget. And you just, because you can't just cover up rot. You can't just pretend you don't see the leak. You have to go after you have to go fix it, maybe even doing more than you had planned. And this is how many, I would say, voice their deconstruction experience in their faith. I need to note here that everyone does some deconstructing in life, right? Like that's just a natural part of growth. That's part of how we grow. We deconstruct things. We, um, if deconstruction is a spectrum for replacing for, is a spectrum from replacing a light fixture to a full-blown remodel, everyone does it. It's just how we grow, it's how we learn, it's how we we adapt. And, and, and but often it's focused in this right trajectory towards truth, towards things that make more sense than it did when we were younger. I mean, think about it. You destruct, deconstructed the idea of Santa Claus or the tooth fairy, or maybe you deconstructed um, sort of some of the things that your parents had to tell you when you were little about certain things. And you had to co- sort of figure it out later in life. It's just sort of process of growing up. It's it's how we grow. And so we all do it in some ways, and it's vital and necessary at times, even if it makes a mess in the process. However, we know that deconstruction typically is applied to those that are doing the full-blown remodels. They're tearing down more, they're finding rot, they're, they're exposing wires. However, for, let's focus on this then, because the goal of the podcast is not for me to explain to you what deconstruction is. The goal of the podcast is what? Finding the way forward for the church what is the church's role in deconstruction what's the role for the church what are we supposed to do well the first thing i think we need to do we have to do is admit where we've failed and repent admit where we failed as a church not obviously specifically and personally that's fine too to admit but i would say uh, corporately admit as a church that sometimes we failed I've read a bunch of on deconstruction. And obviously, in some ways, this podcast is even about the church's role in deconstruction. And I'm not just talking about this episode. I'm talking about in general. I mean, a lot of the non-anxious ideas because we have a lot of anxious churches and, and how we've contributed through our anxious churches at times. And we can't miss this. In fact, everyone that writes on the subject of deconstruction talks about this fact that the church is culpable. In, in some ways, at least some ways, now, not every way, but some ways for deconstruction, maybe not everything or every problem and every reason or every uh, sort of motivation of a deconstructing person can be attributed to the church. But in some ways, there is uh, something that church should be can be um, held responsible for, at least is it capable of admitting where they've made mistakes there, because the church has been part of the construction process for a lot of faith for people. And it's, it's, it's okay to admit this, and it's good to admit this, it's healthy to admit this, and, and to repent where we have wronged people. Here, here's some quotes that I wanna read to you about this idea. Joshua Ryan Butler said, it, said this, "'Many who deconstruct have been wounded "'by abusive or manipulative church leaders, "'or generally unhealthy church cultures. "'Often these relationships were intimate and formative. "'Say the pastor you grew up with, "'the mentor you trusted, For others, the relationship was more distant. You grew up under the influence of leaders like Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz, or Mark Driscoll, whose teaching and charisma powerfully inspired you and formatively shaped you. But then the curtain got pulled back. Or think about what Jeff Holsklaw said. He said, I know many people who are disgusted by the faith, and he put faith in quotes, by the faith in action of their believing parents or the churches they were raised in, the churches down the street during the last election cycle, during the pandemic, during the decades-long culture war. These people are asking, do I really want those people to be my people? Or Scott McKnight said this, reconstructors, those are the people that are in the process of reconstructing, right after deconstruction, reconstructors want a faith and a church and a community that does what is right what is loving, what is just, and not just a bunch of people claiming the Bible is right. Or go back to Karen Swallow Pryor, who we we quoted earlier. She said this, abuse, cover up of abuse, racial strife, lack of integrity, membership declines, partisan divisions, and divisions over disagreements about how extensive these divisions are. An abusive leader in this corner, a negligent board over here, a world-renowned apologist accused of raping and trafficking women over there, and the wounded pile up everywhere like debris on the lawn. Now, these quotes remind us that this is the framework. This is what we talk about on this podcast in many ways: a non-anxious church that won't—a uh, non-anxious church won't leave room for frantic, prideful, anxious, fearful, power-hungry decisions that creates toxic culture. But I think it's still important that we have to admit right up front that as a church, we haven't always lived up to the standard that God has given us. We haven't always kept the major things, the major things. We haven't always let Jesus take the lead. We haven't always loved our neighbor as ourselves. We haven't always acted in the best interests of our community or world and the ways of Jesus. We haven't always practiced what we've preached. And sometimes we've even preached in destructive ways. We've built houses that cut corners, that didn't always Check for safety violations and we skimmed over the inspections. We took the quick and easy routes at times, and thus the new tenants are having to do remodel because the house is starting to show it wasn't properly constructed. This is important. And now, as you know, the reason I even have this podcast is I have such a deep love for the church, for the bride of Christ, and I believe in so many ways it's a beautiful and a wonderful expression of Jesus and, 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 and following Him. But in other ways, we have to admit that at times we have cut the corners. We have tried to uh, factory-produce discipleship instead of slowly-produce discipleship. Because deconstruction, in many ways, comes from the fountain of anxious churches. It's bubbling over the walls now, and we are seeing generations of people not sure they can trust anything the church taught them. Admitting our faults is the way of Jesus. It's the way of the ancient church. It's confession, and it's holy and wonderful. Confession is good. And so we can't say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we messed this up. I'm sorry at times we didn't uh, communicate the the truth and the depth and the beauty of the gospel. I'm sorry at times that we, we allowed platforms and, and, uh, and celebrityism and money and buildings and And attendance be our focus instead of Jesus, and I'm sorry for that. And maybe you want to be defensive here and say, not me, not my church. But yes, all of us, in big or small ways, for no one is perfect. No church is perfect. No pastor or leader is perfect. And yes, you may have had a smaller role, but you still had a role nonetheless. It would be pretty prideful to assume your theology is 100% perfect. And the way you gather as a church is 100% the right way. And yes, 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 the next generation isn't going to hit it 100% either. And they'll need to apologize. And they don't have all the answers either. The generation behind them will probably need to destruct some of the things they did. Hopefully less and less. But once again, the bride of Christ needs the grace of Christ. The bride of Christ also needs to admit that we need Jesus. And when we try to do it in our own way, in our own strength, in our own abilities, that we mess up and we begin to construct walls that weren't supposed to be there. They weren't part of the blueprint that Jesus gave us. And then there's going to be people that need to take them down. It's okay for all of us to admit together we need to put more focus on Jesus and his way. That's beautiful. It's hard, but it's worth it. So what do we do? We admit, we grieve, we seek to find a way forward. We seek to find Jesus' way forward. I like what Pryor goes on to say. Professor Pryor, in the quote above, she says this. She goes on to say, Yes, deconstruction is risky. It always entails the danger of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And as a church body, during these messy processes, it's our job to help hold those babies. But it is also our job to help dump that dirty water down the drain. It is hard, terrible work, but it is also very necessary. She says, hold the babies and dump the dirty water. Now, we've just talked about what it looks like to dump the dirty water, but what does it look like to hold the babies? So the the second point, and really the first point of holding the babies is this. We need to create space for questions and pondering. Jacob was renamed to Israel. And the name Israel literally means the one who wrestles with the divine, the one who wrestles with the divine. I like that. And that would be the journey of Israel forever and ever on beyond that, constantly wrestling with God. And yet that's a name that was given to them in a way that God uh, sort of even wants his people to interact with him. And yet even that idea predates Israel. I mean, think of Job wrestling with God or Abraham or Joseph in Genesis, or, or even Cain wrestling with God, and it extends to us today. This idea of wrestling with God is part of the call of His people to wrestle, to embrace unanswered questions in the, the journey of discovering answers. Maybe or maybe not sitting in the reality that we may not have all the answers, and that's okay. And some of our answers weren't great answers, but we felt so much pressure to have an answer, we simply plugged one in. Questions aren't bad. In fact, that's how Jesus mostly communicated with people. Questions are how we begin to learn and grow. Questions are how, the, how we find truth. And if we trust the reality that God holds truth and is truth as a church... We can be okay with people asking questions and wrestling with questions and even okay with saying we don't know the answer. It's okay to just simply say, we just have to trust God on this one. Even hard, complex, frustrating, and upsetting questions. Does the church have space for some of these? One of the things that I've been installing and talking about a lot about in our church here at Praise Covenant is this idea of LPA. I call it learn, ponder, and apply. L-P-A, learn, ponder, apply. We've been focusing a lot on this pondering idea because as Americans, we're good at learning and applying, right? In fact, that's how we were trained in school to learn and apply something. Like you learn a math problem, you immediately have to apply it on the next assignment. You learn how to read a certain word, you immediately have a book that has it in it, or a paragraph or a sentence that has it in it. You immediately learn, learn how to spell a word, you have that in that Friday's pop quiz spelling test, right? Like this is, we're good at learning and applying. Pondering, however, we're not good at. Pondering is the process of gaining wisdom. When we ponder, we not only think about it, we wrestle with it. We talk with God about it. We seek the spirit in it. We ask other people about it. We don't quickly get a Google answer. We wrestle. We wonder. We think about the implications. We may test theories. We are pondering, and it may take years. Let people that are deconstructing, let them ponder. Let them ask questions. And don't force easy answers. Maybe even ask them questions to their questions. Help them wrestle. The church should be able to help them wrestle and commit to being there in their wrestling. The second thing we see about holding the babies or the third point total is be part of the work of putting it back together. When the church is part of putting it back together, that's the expression of the church that I think we act the most like Jesus with. When we were remodeling our small part of our house or that, you know, that the small remodel that we did in our house, I was telling you about earlier before moving in, I had multiple people come and help me. Not only deconstruct aspects of it, but also reconstruct it. My friend Brian helped me pull up old carpets. My friend Drew helped me put in new light fixtures. My friend Tyler helped me install the washer and dryer. And we had a bunch of church friends come by and help us move in. Now, all these people that I just mentioned, they, they attend our church. And this is a great example of what the church can do in the process of someone on their own journey of deconstruction and reconstruction. It wasn't their mess. It wasn't Brian's mess or Drew's mess or Tyler's mess. It wasn't their mess. It wasn't their house. It wasn't their problems, but they helped. They not only helped take out the stains and the problems, but also helped me install the new stuff. The church should be part of helping people put the pieces back together. God is with us in this. God honestly wants us to have a more accurate view of who he is and how he relates to us, and the church can help with this. If someone is struggling with a false caricature of God, not only can we help them realize how it was false we can take out the carpet for them with them but we can also help them rediscover in the word of god this right caricature this right view of god we we help them search the scriptures and pursue the god that is pursuing them stepping into their mess embracing their work holding their baby it also means that sometimes not letting people live in the mess forever not saying we should rush, rush them through it because I do think pondering takes years sometimes. That's not helpful just to push someone along. Instead, continue to help them in the questions, maybe even asking them more questions so they keep searching for truth because God is truth. Many, many, many church kids around the country right now have become very comfortable with living in that, their half-remodeled house, spiritually speaking, no longer going to church but admitting that maybe they should, no longer reading the Bible but admitting that it might help with their stress and lack of joy. No longer praying, but admitting that when they really need help, they, they will pray. They, they're no longer deconstructing, they're instead, they're just chilling. And the church can be part of helping them continue on in the remodel process. What would it look like to kind of step into that mess? The work of the church should be evident in someone's deconstruction journey. In fact, the church, I feel like, should be part of the process the whole way through. Because who, who's going to be there when they need help pulling out their carpets and putting new ones in? Hopefully it's the church. And it may not be when the person is actively attending church. That's the problem. When someone's deconstructing, they're not usually actively attending church. They may need the church to come to them. They may need somebody to send them this podcast or whatever, to help them continue to spur them along as they begin to ask the right questions and seek the right answer. And finally, the last way to hold the baby is to be non-anxious in the process. Deconstruction is stressful for everyone. We don't like messes. We just don't as humans. We like things being put together. I once asked my dad why he doesn't like doing repairs around, around the, his house. And he said, because I wouldn't know how to put it back together. And then I would just have something broken. And this is true for deconstruction too. If we take it down, we may not know how to put it back. And this is where the church can step in. But that's scary. What if they lose their faith entirely? What if they don't know who they are at the end of this? What if they, who they are is different? What if the mess never goes away? What if they don't like the remodel? What if God is silent in the process? These are all stressful, anxiety-producing questions. But the church can then be the non-anxious presence in the process of someone working through all this. They can be the steady person soothing the crying baby. They can be the one that knows how to repair the holes in the drywall. What if the church was a safe place to deconstruct because they are the experts at reconstruction? They know how to put it back together. They can let somebody try to do a repair, and the church knows how to put it back together. What if the person deconstruction, deconstructing realized the church was the contractor that knew how to repair what had been damaged? What if they knew that the church <coughs> had the way back to Jesus, that they were searching for all along? For truth isn't a concept, it's a person. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. Truth is a person, and that person is Jesus. Therefore, the church doesn't need to be anxious. As long as the person continues to find truth or look for truth, we know that at the end of the truth journey, they either find dead ends, and so they keep searching, or they find Jesus. And the best way to help them find Jesus is to continue to be non-anxious in the process as you help them. And that should give us peace. That should give us joy in this process. For God is the master craftsman at the end of the day. He knows how the house is to be built. He knows how the church is to be built. And he actually loves, loves, loves rebuilding and restoring. And that should bring us joy. Thank you for sticking with me on this longer episode today of this non-anxious church podcast. This is an important topic, and honestly, I'll I'll say it right up here, right now. There's more that could have been said. Maybe more that should have been said, and maybe some more nuances that I could have got into. And knowing that this is an ongoing conversation, but that's what this podcast is all about. It's just, uh, I'm just participating in a larger conversation. I'm not being innovative here, but I'm just adding another layer, another perspective to what's going on. And so there's so much more that could have been said. But here's the thing. If you like what's happening here, please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. This helps other people find it. Thank you for joining me, though. Really, thank you for joining me for episode two of season two. Before you go, remember, you can always email me at nonanxiouschurches at gmail.com. God bless